Advanced Principles Podcast, or app, was created to be an outlet for like-minded individuals to share in the broader conversations on leadership, retail market updates, and incredible personal success stories. On app, you will hear a collection of stories from the titans of the retail industry, as well as thought and practice leaders covering the spectrum of the economy. Please click the subscribe button and look for the newest episodes to be released. The number of customers likely to buy in the United States has increased 178% since January. It's not going to take over the world tomorrow, but it is a growing uh, market segment. Not only will I serve in my inventory, but I'm going to serve them content that's relevant to their dominant buying motive. How does client command really help that dealer retain that customer, keep them glued to the store and establish loyalties in a world where loyalties are diminishing by the day? Passionate and competitive, Jonathan Lucene loves the car business. Groomed in automotive retail, he founded Client Command in 1999 to deliver innovative, ahead-of-the-curve marketing solutions that help dealers win. Under his leadership, Client Command built the most advanced shopper identification in the industry to power omni-channel solutions that make shopper marketing possible in automotive. His commitment to delivering results has driven Client Command's hyper-growth patented technology innovation, and award-winning company culture. Jonathan spends his time investing in customers and employees to help them reach their full potential and making memories with his wife and three daughters. All right, so Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us. That is uh, quite the intro and uh, obviously a ton of success with Client Command. And uh, I know a lot of people, uh, certainly within our agency and our dealer network, know you only related to Client Command, but you got a much more expansive history than that. I'm excited to uh, unpack that. So thank you for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. Love working with you and ADS. Good, good. That's fantastic. So I got to start off because most people like myself don't grow up with any intention to get into the car business. A couple of our other guests were very much similar. They, they just kind of fell into it the way that most of us do. You're a little bit unique. You're a bit of a unicorn in that aspect is you kind of grew up with a passion for the automotive industry. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I guess in fairness, I didn't get it at birth. I was 14 year old, years old. My dad did not believe that child labor was a bad thing. So I found myself roofing houses in San Antonio, Texas. And I could not imagine a place hotter than the roof of a house in San Antonio in August. So a car dealer happened to mention to my dad that he would love to hire somebody that worked that hard. Well, the next day I was at the dealership applying for a job and I quickly found out there's a place that's hotter than the roof. It's the inside of a parked car on an asphalt lot in August. <laughs> San Antonio. So, so after about two weeks of working for this, this guy's name is Don Judd, I, I went to him and I asked the dealer if I could work for free, if he would teach me the car business. And I had no, it wasn't that I just had this master plan. I just looked around and was like, wow, there's some people making some money here that aren't real bright. And I need to figure out what's going on in this business. And he asked me and I had no filter. I told him exactly why I wanted the role. He said, that's awesome. Bring a change of clothes tomorrow after your shift and I'll teach you this business. And we dove right into the P&L and the levers that make dealers money. And he put me in every single department in the dealership over the next five years. And it was just wow. a, a great thing. And I owe my career in large part to him. 
Wow. So age 14 to 19, uh, you're, you're the student of a very successful dealer. What a great mentor to be paired with at such a critical time of your life. Um, if we were all only that lucky. So that is uh, very cool, very fortunate, but also speaks to your hard work and dedication to really be a student of the business. So that's, that's really, really cool. And I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into a little bit more how you're paying that forward as we talk about client command and the culture Absolutely. you're creating there. So, you know, in those five years, what was like the most fascinating to you? Because certainly at 14 years old, you know, I went from uh, going from big league chew bubble gum to tops baseball cards and everything else. And I was kind of flip-flopping back and forth on different interests. And for you to be at age 14 to 19 committed to the automotive industry, what kept you glued to it? I love the thrill of a car deal. And by the time I was 15, I was actually getting to sell cars. Wow. And I think probably, I was probably 15 before I took my first phone up. And I just love the customer interaction. I love the the thrill of the deal. And then there was this, wait a second, there's a whole bunch of tech out there. And tech in 1988 was way different than it is in 2021, right? But there was a whole bunch of tech that Fortune 500 companies were using that dealers weren't using. And I was trying to reconcile the two because that was a big gap in my head that was just screaming like somebody can fix this somebody can actually bring some solutions that will make a huge difference for the dealer and the consumer. And I was hoping that somebody could be me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously you've made that happen. So that's very cool. So it kind of leads me right in my next question. So I jumped into the car business, uh, 1995. It was very fortunate, uh, by way of chance to get into it. You a couple of years ahead of me, and certainly some things have changed. Some remain the same, but certainly you alluded to a little bit of change. What do you think are the biggest changes that have happened in the industry over those 25, 30, 35 years? You know, when I got in the car business, it was somewhat of a joke that the customer came to the dealership, you weren't supposed to let them leave. And some dealers went as far as keeping their trade keys. I mean, I've heard 911 calls recorded where dealers wouldn't give the customer back their trade-in keys. Fortunately, I never worked for any of those guys. Don't think I know any of those guys, but it was a different day, right? The consumer mm -hmm. actually came to you and said, do all the work for me. And the dealer thought, I've got all the power I can really negotiate from here. And then the internet came and the consumer got all the power. And you remember those first internet customers, they, they came in with stacks of paper Oh. And they could tell you the invoice, they could tell you the shipping charges. And for a little while, it like really damaged gross profit, it really damaged some customer relationships. But over time, dealers figured out how to work with that customer, how to serve that customer, and how to make it a good experience for both the consumer and the dealer. And now I think we're entering this other shift. And the shift is that We've now embraced digital retailing just enough to the point where we can actually do it. And now you've got competitors like Carvana and Tesla and Broom that are actually saying, hey, you should buy your car online, Mr. Customer. And the customer's going, well, maybe I should. And I don't think that the number of customers buying their car online is going to be a majority in the very near future but it's also not going to decrease. Mm -hmm. And so the shift is going to be, as it increases, what's going to happen to the customer mentality? 
who are they going to be loyal to? As dealers, we've always benefited pretty greatly from customer loyalty, Absolutely. particularly on the front end, right? Mm-hmm. Where the guy's been in our service department, he's going to come back and buy his next car from us, and then the cycle repeats. Well, what happens when they bought their last car from somebody 2,000 miles away? They might show up in the service department, maybe, maybe not. But when it comes time to shop again, they're going back to the internet. And it, the game starts over. Yeah. And I think that's the next big transition for dealers in the dealer-consumer relationship. Yeah, it is interesting. I remember as you were going through that, I was replaying some of my first internet customers. Um, and internet, you know, is, is so different now from a perception because they're really doing the majority of the deal, the negotiating, uh, even the test drive online, if you will. Whereas the inner, the other internet customer was just a true internet lead. They found a car online. They ended up showing, like you said, with a stack of papers to discuss it. And you still had a customer in front of you now, as you indicated, the customer is 2000 miles away. So how does that local dealer compete? And that kind of goes right into, you know, the client command strategy. And I know from uh, those days uh, uh, down in San Antonio, you had a couple other steps throughout your career. And where did you start putting the pieces of the puzzle together to connect the dealer with the customer and uh, try to tie that longevity in and uh, secure that dealer and that customer for the life of the, the interaction? Yeah, so in the late 90s and early 2000s, I was working with a company that did a number of surveys. And by a number, I mean millions and millions and millions of surveys of everybody that came into a dealership, whether they came in to purchase a vehicle or just service their car, maybe they didn't purchase the vehicle and they left. This call center would call the customer, ask them a series of questions, and then send the information back to the dealer. And one of the ways that we made that valuable for the dealer is we started aggregating all the data and appending other data to that data on the dealer's behalf to figure out, okay, what are we actually looking at here? And how can this make a difference? How can this be actionable at the dealership level? And in 2001, on September 11th, I realized that that I owned a a small business at the time and realized, man, my business is not going to be the same tomorrow. And, Mm -hmm. And so there were two things going on. There was that personal grief and shock and all the emotions that we all had. And then there was that professional, okay, my dealers have a problem. I might have a problem. Mm-hmm. And we better figure out how to handle this problem. And this was before anyone came up with the idea of, hey, let's slap 0% interest on cars and off and running, we went the next year, right? Yep. But nobody yep. knew that on that day. And the decision I made was it's time to just lever all the data we have on behalf of the dealers and give them a guarantee on marketing. But the guarantee comes with a catch. And the catch is the data is going to to drive the decisions. We can override it with our experience, but let's let the data drive the decisions. Let's not make them emotional. And as we did that, we got better and better and better at targeting and identifying what a consumer wants, making sure that they were hit the right number of times in the right medias and engaging the consumer to the point they came into the dealer and said, hey, I want to buy a car. And it got so good, dealers started making, selling more cars, making more money and getting more trades. And 
today that's that's true as well. So we can get into some of that later if you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's amazing to think that, you know that first of all, 9/11 was 20 years ago coming up here in just a couple of months, and and certainly we all have those flashback moments. Another thing is is you start to think about the time frame when you've adopted that philosophy. Uh, we had the dot com boom of of the late 90s. We had 9/11 in in 2001. We had the housing crisis in 2008, 2009, and then certainly there was a small event over this last 18 months. You know the global pandemic. So it's amazing just in such a short period of time we've had so many huge events go on and the dealers have still found a way. I think another thing that really speaks to me that I kind of want to spend just a couple minutes on is it really speaks to the, the culture that I fell in love with at Client Command. Um, certainly, we, we vet our partners uh, very thoroughly. Uh, we came down to your offices, we met with you, we met with your senior leadership team and, and, and really a lot of the drivers of the technology in the background. And the culture just bleeds out from the moment you walk into the door to the time you leave, you just feel the culture. And I think it speaks volume that at a point of crisis in America, you made a stance that said, we're going to guarantee our results to our dealers because that's who we are. When I'm guessing, and I just kind of want you to elaborate, you had no guarantees that anything was going to work. You were as up in the air as anybody else out there, but yet you had the foresight and the confidence and conviction and really passion for your dealers to make that guarantee at that time. Talk us a little bit about that very difficult decision. Yeah, so yes, there's risk there. But you and I have both chosen to spend our lives professionally doing something that, and I know you a little bit personally, so I know this is true for you as well, you believe it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And my purpose in life is to help people reach their potential. The people I get to serve are the dealers that we serve professionally, my employees, and my family, and my community. Those are the people I get to serve. And the people I saw most at risk at that time was the dealer body. There was some serious concern, and I'm talking immediately, you know, the post 9-11 days of what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. It got good when 0% came out and it was obvious there weren't more attacks coming and, and whatnot. Doing the right thing though that shouldn't be contingent on if the circumstances look like they're gonna benefit you or not. So we made the decision to do what we thought was right. Was there risk involved? Yes. We did believe that the data would drive us the right direction and that the math worked so it was in everyone's best interest, but we had no guarantees of that. The data did drive us the right direction. And in fact, today we just continue to ingest so much of it that, it's really changing the way we do business every single day. I think just to the point of reference, we take in 97 and a half million pieces of data on U.S. consumers every single day. And that's more static data. We take in the data from 60 billion URLs every day. Wow. And we attach that with individual consumers as it's privacy compliant and appropriate and relevant for purchase of automobiles, we attach that to American data files, we call it our people model. And that's what drives the difference. So if you if you keep their best interest in mind, the dealers, the consumers, at the end of the day, that takes care of you and your people. As far as the, the culture at Client Command, everybody here knows we have one mission and that's to help people reach their potential. And everybody here signed the social contract of our values. And if, if they're willing to live by our values and work to help people reach their potential, 
we can figure out the rest. Yeah, yeah, that is, it, it's just so cool. So, you know, certainly, so in, in 2001, when kind of that first line in the sand got drawn and, and you catapulted forward, how big was the company then people-wise? Uh, we had four or five, and it was, it was small. And, and where is it today, total number of associates? 70 that are FTEs, and then we have several hundred contractors. Okay. So to maintain a culture at four or five people when you're hands-on and you know everybody and you're by the water cool with them every day, very different than now when you've got contractors that you're kind of, you know, injecting in and out of the culture, but they need to live by the culture and need to help support it. But certainly 70 plus full-time associates, how, how have you addressed that challenge over the years, over the 20 years of maintaining and building upon and growing that culture and really creating cultural champions within the organization? That's a great question. So I, I would answer, uh, give you a threefold answer. One, it's about the mission. If they don't sign up for the mission, you're going to have a mission. Yep. And so you have true. to live that. It can't just be something that, yeah, we we aspire to. No, it has to be something that would drive a decision that had risk to you. And then two, it's the values. We started with four values. We now have 10 values. And the reason we added six is because our people asked us to add six more. Wow. And the way we treat them is a social contract. And what that means is anyone in the organization can go to anyone else and play the values card and say, hey, that action or that behavior doesn't appear to me to match our values. And we encourage both parties in that case to talk it out, to figure out was the intent what you perceived it to be? Do you still believe that? And to work it out in alignment with our values. Rarely, if ever, does anything actually get escalated to me where there's a values conflict. But they happen on a regular basis where those conversations are taking place. So I think that adds some richness to the culture right there. Mm -hmm. Of people saying, well, one of our values is determination. Are you living that out? Because it doesn't feel to me like we should be shying away from that challenge. Or somebody saying, one of our values is service. Are we really serving that dealer? Or somebody maybe saying, hey, one of our values is work-life balance. And it feels like we're working that team into the ground. Maybe we should step back and, and ask ourselves how we can give them some breathing room so that they can reach their full potential also. And then the, the third thing we've done is we've invested a tremendous amount into leadership development. And the belief there is, that if you equip and train leaders, they will go and give it away and give it away. And give it. Mm -hmm. They'll give it to your clients, they'll give it to their family, they'll give it to the community, they'll certainly give it to the other people in the company. And so that adds value, right? Every time. And it's not yeah, the value, it's not like you put in one meter of something and you get one meter out. No, they add their own unique twist to it. They add their own unique flavor. So you put in one meter of something and you get a thousand out. And it's better for them and it's better for everybody else. So, yeah, that's that, really been our secret. That's really strong. One, I think it adds to the scope, especially if you have associates that bring six additional values to you. I mean, that just right there, that just kind of sums it up in a nutshell. I think companies would, would die for that. I know a lot of companies are starving for it. And the other aspect of that is, you know, the words that I kind of hear bleed through that is trust, empowerment and engagement. I don't think without trust, without empowerment, without engagement, you're getting associates calling the value card out on another associate. 
because it, I'm sure it's in a non-threatening manner. And it's like you said, they're all signing up for it. They're all living out that contract. Um, that is just really strong. And it's very cool to see that continue to expand. And now you've kind of enabled the multiplier effect, right? Where your leaders are now creating future leaders and their future leaders, and it's just going to continue to expand. So congrats to you and the entire team. And I know uh, you've been uh, given some accolades and awards for the culture that you've created, and I'm positive that that will continue. So a uh, great job. Thanks, now, sir. over this, this last year and a half, um, you know, as I kind of explained, it's one thing to do it with four or five people. It's a different thing to do it with 70-some associates. Um, it's also very do it different to do it with 70 associates all under one roof versus spread all throughout Metro Atlanta, working from their living rooms or bedrooms or offices or dens or wherever. And how, what challenges have you faced as a leader, um, as well as the company faced over the last 18 months as everyone's been kind of sent home to work and work virtually and remote? How have you stayed so connected and kept that culture strong? Yeah, it's a great question because it's, it is different. When you walk into a physical office, you can, as you mentioned earlier, you can feel the energy mm -hmm. and it's good or it's bad, but you kind of know what's up, what's the vibe. And digitally, that's just not the case. So uh, we were fortunate that our, our culture was built before we were a 100% distributed workforce. And I, I, caveat it with 100% distributed because we had employees all over the country before COVID. So there was some element of knowing how to work with a remote em employee beforehand. For us, it's about the result. It's one of our values. It's, did you get the result? This is the result I need. Did you actually get that result? Another value is teamwork. Another value I think I mentioned earlier was service. Mm -hmm. Well, when you start to combine those values, it kind of takes care of itself. They figure out how to work together. We leverage Slack pretty, pretty heavily. Yeah. But what we found is our people became more efficient and more effective. They still use the office, but they use it as a tool instead of, I don't know the right word for it, but a cell. Um, it's not a place you have to go. It's a place you get to go and you leverage it. You go there when you need it. Not every day because the clock or the calendar says you have to be there. Yeah, that's so really it's, cool. It's been really good for us. And, you know, we've been out in the field with dealers the entire time, with the exception of when the government told them they had to shut the store. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very impressive. It's really cool. And I know that that will continue to expand and um, we certainly enjoy the relationships that we have with your reps that have been historically located in the office, but also uh, throughout the field and across the entire country. So it's just fantastic. So nothing comes without a little, a little pain, a little sacrifice. Certainly the last 20 years is not all awards and accolades and growth and success. So what have been some of the bigger challenges that you and the company have faced? Um, because I know you speak is on behalf of the company as well, but also you as an individual, as a family a man as a competitor um, and a leader, but then also the company itself. What, what challenges have you guys faced that really stick out? Yeah, I think that you could put them in three buckets, Ron. Okay. Growth, people, and technology. As you mentioned earlier, it's one thing when you've got a couple people, it's something else when you're much larger. What worked yesterday may not work tomorrow. Uh, so growth creates its own set of challenges. Those are challenges that we relish, we pray for, right? But not everybody can actually navigate 
those challenges. You have to actually be willing to break the routine that you've had before. You have to stop doing something that worked before because it doesn't work anymore. And a lot of people can't actually make that step. A lot of organizations can't mm -hmm. make that step. So we're pretty cognizant about that piece of it. And it also helps us as we serve our dealers, if you think about it, what worked in a store 20 years ago does not work today. And if your partners don't have the ability to actually change, it's going to be a problem because they're going to keep bringing you old solutions. Yep. And, and so for us, I'm excited about that piece of it. The people part has been a challenge as well. Uh, Peter principling people, if you're not familiar with that term, it's when you promote somebody to their level of incompetence, that gets really hard from a leadership perspective because mm -hmm. you have to be able to realize it and rectify it. So you have to have those really difficult conversations that keeps a lot of organizations from, from growing. Mm -hmm. You've got to be able to attract great people and grow great people. And then they've got to multiply. So I think we've done some things well in that regard, but to say it's easy would, would be misleading. It's hard. I've made mistakes in it, um, continue to make mistakes in it. I think we're learning from them. We're getting better. But the people piece of it is really difficult. It's one of the things I'm most proud of at Client Command because we have great people. And our dealers constantly say that. Our agents constantly say that. But, but it is a challenge, right? Yeah. And then on the tech side, we patented the ability to connect online and offline data and use it to power marketing. So we actually know when somebody's shopping for a car, who they are, what they want to buy and why they want to buy it. And we use that to power marketing. The tech for that is really complicated. It drives me crazy in, in our industry. It's a bit of a me too industry, right? Mm -hmm. like Very much so. People say, oh yeah, they, we do that too. We do that too. We we do that too. And if you ask them two questions deep, they have no idea what they're talking about. Um, so, so I think the technical piece of it's real. Like there are challenges in that every day. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And I know you have some really, really bright people like borderline genius, if not genius on staff helping to navigate and mitigate some of the technology challenges. But what you guys do is absolutely astonishing. And I can assure you it is the only um, technology like that, that I have come across in the industry. And I, there are no other me too's out there in that regard. One thing on the growth, because I've always uh, been growth minded. I, I, I like to think I'm growth minded anyway, is so many people talk about growth and want more, want this, want that. And, and then when it actually comes push to shove, a lot of people cower away because it is difficult, like you said. And one phrase that I heard of several years ago now, and I've absolutely fallen in love with it is every organization is ideally structured for its current results. And it just every time I think through that, it's like, yes, if you're not happy with what you're getting, there has to be some level of change, level of, of associates, level of uh, technology, level of infrastructure, whatever it might be, you have to change if you want a different outcome. And so many people, in my opinion, want to talk about it, don't want to do the heavy lifting. So it's really cool that you've not only talked about it, you've been a champion for it, and you've executed on the initiatives over the years. So uh, again, great job on that aspect of it. You said it better than I could say it, which is, yeah, you're you're ideally structured where you are today. <laughs> Absolutely, no doubt. It would, you know, physically, we're kind of the same way, right? If I want to go out and run a marathon today, I'm probably not best suited for my best time. So uh, kind of, uh, you know, you think of it in the human aspect as well. 
Hey everybody, this is Michael from ADS. What an amazing first episode with Jonathan. His passion for the auto industry is glaring. The way he started off at such a young age, working at a dealership, gaining all that knowledge. Fast forward, he was able to transform that into some of the most powerful technology dealers have available to them today. Great news is we will hear more from Jonathan next week on best practices for marketing, how to create a strategic marketing plan for your dealership, and competing at the Ironman World Championship in Hawaii. App is available through Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and our website. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified of the latest episodes.